Hey guys, this is Zach. I wanted to talk to you real quickly before you listen to this message on podcasts because we're in a very unique season as a ministry and really as a church worldwide because of this virus. But we want to partner with you in this unique season and encourage you in your faith and everyday life. So we're putting out new content every day, whether that's a short devotional from one of our student leaders or an online message like you're about to listen to. And we're also providing some very special opportunities for us to gather digitally for prayer and even songwriting. The best way to be a part of all of that is to follow us on all of our social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and Snapchat. Just search at MVMTU on any of those platforms, and we'll look forward to connecting with you there. Thank you so much for listening. So here's this week's message from Collective Online. Hey guys, thanks again for streaming tonight. Uh, I know, as you saw just now, there's a lot of ways that we can still stay connected, and we are taking full advantage of all of our social media channels like Instagram and uh, YouTube right now and things like that. So stay close so that you can be involved with your youth group. And maybe you're a part of a youth group that's not meeting right now, and we're glad that we can kind of adopt you kind of part-time like this. Or maybe you uh, are living in another part of the state or even another part of the country. Thanks so much for watching tonight and being a part. Uh, But, you know, as, as good as those things are, I miss being able to meet in person. I really, really do. Like, I would much rather be over in the gym, you know, jamming out with Clint and being able to sing real loud with all of you guys, and that's, that's fantastic, and we're, we're looking forward to when we can do that again. Um, this has been a season of a lot of setbacks, and really, I mean, all of us are affected, not just in our church life, but we're affected in so many different ways with the setbacks that are coming our way, mostly, I mean, at least that's closest to the front of our minds because of the coronavirus, I mean, think of the different things that you would be doing right now, not just like in this moment, but in this season. Sure, you'd be in church right now, you know, having a good time and and spilling your coffee on the the gym floor, probably. Uh, I know that's some of you guys. But there's other things that you could be doing right now. Like some of you, you've been working in the off season, getting ready for lacrosse season or baseball season. And I know you were training like really, really hard. You were working out in the gym, you were doing conditioning, and you were like, this is going to be my year. I'm going to be a starter this year. I'm a junior. Or maybe you're even a sophomore, but you just knew it. You were like, I'm stronger. I am faster. I am more skilled. I'm ready. And this is going to be my season, my breakout season. Well, then baseball, lacrosse, or those other spring sports, a lot of them got canceled, and now you're thinking, this is a setback. I mean, how am I going to get you know, college uh, you know, offers if I can't even play this season? What do I do with that? How is that fair? And it's really not fair. But you've got to figure out what to do with that setback. Another setback, I, I, I'm thinking of a lot of you guys were getting ready to take your driver's license exam. You were getting ready. You were like, listen, I've done the drug and alcohol test. I've got my permit. All I need now for my little taste of freedom to get that open road is I got to go and I got to take the driver's license test. I gotta, and then I'm going to be free. And I know you were looking forward to that. Let me know in the comments. How many of you guys were just ready for that little taste of freedom? And maybe you're eligible now to go and get your license, but you just can't because that office is closed or because you're stuck at home. You got to think, what am I going to do with these setbacks? Life is full of setbacks, even past the coronavirus. You know, you'll have plans and ambitions to maybe go to a college, and then you don't get into that college. And then you're trying to get into, uh, you know, there's this job that you really, really wanted, but oh, I didn't get the job, so what do I do from that point on? Maybe even a romantic relationship has a setback. You guys break up for a short time or maybe forever, and you guys think, okay, where do I go from here? And actually, the title of tonight's message is this. It's From Setbacks to Success. 
Because I think that's the world that we're living in right now and is so prevalent and there's a passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at for the next two weeks that I think is just perfect for us. We're going to spend the next two weeks, tonight and next week, in the book of Esther. Wherever you're at, say Esther. Comment it, turn to your sister or to your grandma, I really hope you are watching with your grandma, and say Esther. Esther is a really cool book of the Bible and we're going to spend, like I said, this Wednesday night and next Wednesday night in it. And it's unique for a few different reasons. Esther, believe it or not, is one of only two books in the Bible that is named after a woman. All the ladies go crazy right now. If you're in the room, clapping hallelujah. If you're in the comments, you know, comment, clap emoji, girl flipping her hair emoji, all of those things, you know, hey, girl power, that's good for you. Hey, Esther is one of only two books in the Bible that has, uh, that is named after a woman. And so I think it's unique in that way, but it's unique for a few different other ways. You know, Esther, um, was very familiar with setbacks. She was no stranger to setbacks at all because she was an orphan, so her parents had died. I mean, I'm not making light of that at all, but I mean, it was kind of like a Disney movie. I'm kind of amazed that they haven't made a Disney movie about Esther's life because, I mean, I think that's all it really takes. Like, if, you, if one of your parents or both of your parents die, Disney movie, here we come, right? I mean, Moana, Bambi, all of them. All of them, Lion King, like, you, all you know all you need to know going into a Disney movie is don't attach to the pets on an Elsa. It's bad luck if mom or a dad to be in a Disney movie. But, you know, she, she had those setbacks. She was an orphan. Not only was she an orphan, but she was an orphan and a slave in a foreign pagan country. Shrek isn't uh, a Disney movie. What are you talking about? That's DreamWorks. Anyways, um, but she was, she was an orphan and a slave in a foreign pagan country where they didn't believe her God, where they her, who she was human, or who she was as a woman, and you know, she was very, very familiar with setbacks and having, you know, you know what, I'm going to rearrange my, I'm going to have to think about how do I change my perspective and where do I go from here, and we're going to see how her story plays out in this, but Esther is an incredible book, so what we've done is we actually went and we found a, the perfect 10-day uh, reading plan a 10-day reading plan, and so all you need to do is go to our Instagram, go to at MVMTYouth, and click on the link in our bio, and then from there, you'll see there's a 10-day uh, Esther reading plan, so you can click on that, and you'll be right on track for the next few days as we get ready to conclude our study next Wednesday. Um, not only is Esther unique in that it's named after a woman, but Esther is unique because Esther is the only, I mean it, the only in the Bible that doesn't mention God. And you're thinking, how can it be a book of the Bible and not mention God? Like, how is that even, does it still count as a part of the Bible? Yeah, it still counts. And there are some specific reasons why it is uh, still a part of the Bible, even though it doesn't mention God. And there's a few people that have different theories about why the writer of Esther chose not to mention God specifically. The first reason is this. Most people accredit the authorship to a man named Mordecai. And Mordecai was actually related to Esther. We'll get to that later. But Mordecai was also a Jew, so he was also a slave, and he was also in a foreign land where they didn't believe in his God. So there was a few things that he wanted to make sure of. One, he didn't want to get any trouble, right? So he doesn't want to start publishing these books about a God that, you know, is kind of outlawed or not believed in in this country. And secondly, not only did he not want to get in trouble, but he wanted other people to read this book, not just Israelites. 
So if they go, oh, that's, a, that's like a Jewish book, it's an Israelite book, you know, I'm not interested in that story. He wanted anybody to, to, who, who you know, might be interested in the history of that nation and uh, their queen to go ahead and listen to it and, 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 and read that book. Um, but here is why I think this is, this is the main reason why Esther uh, doesn't contain the name of God. Because Esther, the whole theme, the whole idea of the book of Esther is this, that God, even when it doesn't seem like it, is moving behind the scenes. See, you won't be able to find God's name in this book, but you'll see his handiwork all over it. I mean, his, his fingerprints are all over Esther's stories. You can't go through this book or this story of Esther's life without seeing God at work. It's incredibly obvious. And so the main idea that I'll write this down, wherever you're at, take notes. I hope that you take notes. Write this down and, for, and remember this. Frame it. Put it in your Bible is this, that even in the setbacks, God is at work behind the scenes. Even in the setbacks, God is at work behind the scenes. I want to pray for us, and uh, we're going to go ahead and get into this passage of Scripture. I'm excited to share this with you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the goodness of your scriptures, Lord, uh, that even thousands of years later, they're so applicable to us in this setback that we are going through right now as a people and as a nation, as a world. But I pray that you would supernaturally, through your Holy Spirit, speak to us, impact our lives with this message, and let us never be the same. In your name we pray, amen. All right, go ahead. In your Bibles, go to Esther chapter 1. Hoot and holler, light it up in the comments, go crazy. Caleb up in the sound booth is about to go nuts going to Esther chapter 1. But I think there's some context that you need that will help this letter make a whole lot more sense. They'll make, help this story uh, connect the dots for you. So there's a king who is king over Persia, and he's a real important guy. His name is Xerxes. Wherever you're at, say Xerxes. And you can say that name and sound a little bit silly, uh, but Xerxes, as we enter the story, is in the middle of a seven-day rager. I mean, this dude is going nuts. Like, he, they've had a long, 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 long party. I mean, there's no party like a Persian party, uh, and they are drinking like crazy the entire time. So the very first impression that we get of this guy is he's drunk. He's really, really drunk, and this is not the best time for some decision-making, but that's exactly what he's going to do. So in the midst of his drunken, crazy party, he says, hey, queen, queen's name is Vashti, and he says, queen Vashti, come on over here, come party with us, it's going to be fun, you're going to love it, and here's the thing, it says in chapter one that, that Vashti was beautiful, and so it says that he wants to show off her crown, the jewels that she had, but also He's like, guys, guys, you got to see my wife. My wife is really, she's hot. Like, come on. Hey, hey, Vashti, come on over here. The guys, you, just wait till she walks through the door. You're going to just be like, wow, you're right. She is really gorgeous. So he says, I want to show off my wife. And it says in verse 12, this is what happens. When they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. In fact, she was having a, her own party at this time. But she refused to come. And this made the king furious and he burned with anger. And he's like probably a little embarrassed in front of his friends. He's like, I mean, she's just getting around, you know, hey, Vashti, really, get out here. And she doesn't want to come and he gets angrier and angrier and angrier. And it's crazy. But at this point in time, his friends start going, hey, this is a problem. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And this is the issue because he's saying, listen, uh, 
it's one thing for your wife to, you know, not do what you tell her to do, but the real problem is for us, our wives are going to start doing the same thing. And we really got to keep our wives under our thumb. Like they're not, you know, the Me Too movement would go after these people. If you think this is bad, just wait. Like they, they would not be a fan of uh, King Xerxes or any of his friends. Um, but he went so far as to say, hey, listen, you don't get down here right this second. You're not queen anymore. And she doesn't come. And then he says, you're not going to be queen anymore. And I'm kicking you out of the palace. And he loses his mind and he's drunk. So this is a bad time to make, be making a decision like this. Um, they were not big on equality or women's rights at this point in time in history. And so, you know, the, the, all of these terrible decisions being made. But in, in just like that, the kingdom has no queen. And just like that, the king is looking for another king. But the first thing that I want you guys to realize about this, I told you before, God is at work behind the scenes. Even in the midst of this chauvinist, sexist, stupid decision by the king of Persia, uh, God is setting the stage. Write this down. God is at work despite evil people. God is at work despite evil evil people. And some of you guys are thinking of some evil people right now. You're like, oh, you don't know my teacher. You don't know my sister. She is pure evil. She is the absolute worst. And you're just thinking, if you knew the person that I'm thinking of, you're thinking there's no way that God can work with this person. Well, think, realize this. Yes, Xerxes is a chauvinist pig. He is a loser. He's a drunk. He's a jerk. He's abusive. He is unfaithful. I mean, you know, till death do us part means nothing to this guy. He just threw his wife out of his house, out of the palace, because she didn't come when he said come. And now this is the kind of guy that we're dealing with. But Xerxes is a part of God's plan. Xerxes is a part of God's perfect, orchestrated plan to rescue his people, and he's really just setting the stage. And I think that sounds like kind of crazy to us, but just think about how evil this guy was. In verse 22 of chapter 1, it says that he passed a law and he announced that every man should rule over his own family using his own language. Like whatever he says goes and he's the boss. And the woman has no voice and, and no perspective and no input. I mean, there was, this was basically dehumanizing women and the children and the family. And so some of you guys were like, yeah, but men are supposed to lead. Well, go back and look at the, uh, the sermon that we did on marriage a few months ago, the meaning of marriage. It's on YouTube, and you'll see that like, that whole like, man just domineering and being bossy and hurting his wife is not at all the plan that God has for us whatsoever. But you might feel like God's just not working in your life, or God's not working in this situation, and he can't, maybe, because of this one person who is just evil. And maybe you wouldn't use the word evil, but you're like, yeah, but they are a jerk. Yeah, and maybe you just say they're annoying, and you're like, how can anything good come of this situation with somebody who's such a jerk? Like, why is this even fair? I mean, like, this team is never going to go anywhere with that person on the team. You know, this, this class is never going to be able to learn anything with that person as our teacher. I mean, I'm never going to learn anything, that's for sure. Well, what we see all throughout Scripture is that God actually kind of seems to specialize in including even evil people in his plan. Look at this. You know, if you go back to Exodus, I just wrote a, a list of some people that God has used. God purposefully hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he could bring about the most glory and get all of the honor and the glory for rescuing his people out of Egypt. Like, that was his plan. It says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He even kind of influenced 
Pharaoh to make some poor decisions. Not only that, but when David was running from his insane, murderous, mutinous son, it says that he ran from that son, and then he ended up hiding with the Philistines. And the Philistines are the bad guy. Like, remember Goliath the Philistines? The Philistines that the the people of Israel were fighting for years and years and years? I mean, they were pretty much mortal enemies, and God used them to protect David for a period of time. He stayed in the city of Gath. And you're just like, but they're bad guys. Well, now God is using an abusive drunk of a husband to set the stage for his purposes. Our God specializes in including evil people in his plan. That's the first thing we learn, that God is at work despite evil people. Well, Regardless of what you think of that decision-making process, well, that was unfair, well, Vashti should have come when he said come, like she shouldn't have embarrassed him in front of his friends, whatever you think, no longer is there a queen in the palace. Right or wrong, Xerxes has got to go find himself another queen. And so he's got to go find another queen. Well, how is he going to do it? Uh, some of his, his friends, they come up with a plan. Some, listen, some of you, you got great friends, and they are fantastic influences on your life, but some of them, you need to not listen to their ideas because they got really dumb ideas. Like if they said, hey, let's go light this on fire. Like, don't, don't do it. Well, this is what uh, the king's advisors said. In chapter two, verses two and four, through four, I'm gonna read these verses real quick. His personal attendants suggested this. They said, I got, some, I got an idea. Let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susan. A harem was like a place where all of his wives, like multiple wives, would stay. And Haggai, the king's eunuch, is going to be in charge of the harem, and we'll see that they're given all of the beauty treatments, like spa treatments, like manicures, like pedicures, like they're going to get their hair done. They want to get prettied up for the king. And after that, the young woman who, was, who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king, so he put the plan into effect. Now, some of you guys are like, well, that's nice that he's gonna give them beauty treatments. It's nice that he's gonna like, look after them and things like that, but like, this is just kind of, this is dripping with selfish ambition. This is dripping with like a chauvinist attitude that, I mean, it's a beauty pageant, and I'm not saying that beauty pageants are all evil, but I'm saying this is a beauty pageant for one man. And he is trying to find somebody who's attractive and he hasn't said anything about, well, I want somebody who's kind and gentle and smart and has a good personality. He hasn't said anything like that. He goes, hey, let me find somebody who's really hot and then I'm gonna give them some beauty treatments and they're gonna be my wife and you know, I'll go from there. This is sexist. This is treating women like possessions. This is not part of God's perfect plan for marriage. And if you are, uh, this isn't even part of the message, but if you are thinking about romantic relationships, it's totally normal to think, well, am I attracted to this person? I hope that you're attracted to the person that you want to be your future husband or wife. Like, that's important. But that doesn't need to be the only thing that you're looking for. And that's the only thing that King Xerxes is looking for in this time. These are completely self-serving purposes, and he's looking for a trophy wife that he can show off to his friends like he was trying to do with Vashti. But I want you to write this down. This is the second point of our, our message tonight. God is at work despite impure motives. He's at work despite impure motives. And, and even if somebody is like, you can just tell, they are only in it for themselves. They are only in it so that they can be the person with all the attention on them, or they can get the, the credit for all, all the glory for, you know, the success. Like, they're doing this, you know, clean, like, class project, T 
team project, but like they're clearly only in it for themselves. It doesn't matter. Uh, God can still work in that situation. Look at Philippians 4. And, and by Philippians 4, I mean Philippians 1. In verse 17 and 18, Paul is talking about this exact same kind of issue. What was people who were like pop-up preachers, and they're like, ooh, Paul is getting like really popular for preaching. Maybe I should be a preacher too. I mean, he's got like adoring fans. He's got people that listen to what he wants to say. And like, I, I think I want some of that attention. So they would start preaching, doing it for the platform. They were only doing it for the attention. And this was what Paul says about their motives. Verse 17 in Philippians 1 says, those others, they don't have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition not sincerely, intending to make my chains, he's in prison at this moment, intending to make my chains more painful for me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Like, think about that. That's the gospel. Like, that's the most important message that we have in the entire world. And what Paul is saying is, hey, even if their, their, their motives are wrong, even if they seem like they're in it for them, themselves, God can still use this situation. God can still use their message and their preaching and go from there. And he says, I rejoice. You know, if the gospel's advanced, praise the Lord. Let's, let's have at it. And you might be thinking, well, my teacher, they just seem like they're like bossing people around. My parents, and listen, you need to be really, really careful as you're assuming your parents' motives or you're assuming your parents' intentions because it, it, things change when you become an adult and you're like, okay, I kind of see what you were doing there. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. You might be thinking, this person, they've just got the worst intentions. They just like bossing me around. They just like ruining my life. Even if that is true about their motives, God can work in spite of those impure motives. There's one last thing that I want us to learn from this part of Esther's story. And really, this, this whole message is really just setting the stage for next week, and we'll see how God's plan comes together. But in order to see this last point, we've kind of got to reread parts of the passage. We've gone over parts of ch chapter one. We've gone over parts of chapter two. Logan says the Philistines are messing with the Wi-Fi. I apologize, guys, if you're having some problems with your stream. But we're gonna read a little bit more of chapter one and chapter two. See, this is what it says. Chapter one, verses, verse three. It says, in the third year of his rule, some of you guys are better at math than I am, so keep track of this, write this down, scribble it on your phone or somewhere like that, but he says, in the third year of his rule, King Xerxes gave a feast. So that is when everything started, the big party, the big drunken seven-day, you know, rager where he yelled at Vashti and, you know, got rid of a queen, and now I need a new queen. That's when that all started, in the third year of his rule. Then you scoot down to chapter 2, verse 16, and it says that she, Esther, was taken to King Xerxes in the royal house. It was the seventh year of the rule of Xerxes. See, here's the problem with most of us in interpreting whether or not God's at work or whether he's at work right in front of us or behind the scenes. As we read stories like this, we're like, wow, God used Esther to save his people. Isn't that so cool? And we read it. We read chapter one in like four or five minutes. And we read chapter two in four or five minutes. And then we're, you know, four or five minutes later, we're like, okay, God, do it in my life. God, where are you at? It's been like five whole minutes. What's the deal? 
Like, I've been single for a whole month. If you want me to be with somebody, God, like, are you a miracle worker? You, you seem to be a way maker, but I need a matchmaker right now. Let's get at it, God. Come on. I need a miracle in my life. And you're just thinking, well, this isn't happening on my timetable. But think about this. Esther showed up in the palace, and it was four years before she even met the king. And she's supposed to have this, like, place of influence with her and all that kind of good stuff. And, and you know, she's, she's supposed to save the, the nation. But, like, none of that can even happen if she can't talk to the king. Like, what's the deal, God? you got to hurry things up. Listen, write this down. God is at work despite inconvenient timelines. And some of you guys are like, God, we are going on week three of this quarantine And if we get to week four, I'm going to choke my little brother, and I'm not going to have a little brother anymore. So I need you to come through. I need you to make a way in the wilderness like you did back in Exodus, because I read that in like 30 minutes. Like, it's been 30 minutes. God, bring it. Fix it. Coronavirus, get out of here. Um, In the name of Jesus, God is at work even despite inconvenient timelines. Esther waited four years. Now, I don't wish a four-year quarantine on anybody, but I think we can at least make it four weeks. You know, school's supposed to be back May 4th, you know, and we're holding on to that. Well, let's, let's see what happens. But let's not freak out and go, God, you're not at work. God, what are you doing? This isn't working. This, you said, you said, you said, you said. Let's realize that God is at work behind the scenes even when we can't see it. And you might be thinking, well, big whoop, she's, she's going to be queen. Good for her. There's a bunch of other people who are still slaves. There's a bunch of other people who didn't get to be queen. Like this, sure, it's, it's a cool story. It might be a good Disney story, but like, how is this like God's plan? Well, like I said before, God is setting the pace. He is setting the stage for an incredible work. He's putting all the pieces in place so that he, he can rescue his people in a spectacular way. If you want to read a little bit ahead, like I said before, go to our Instagram bio, click on the Esther reading plan, and start that reading plan tonight. At least start it by tomorrow so that next week when we get online on Wednesday at 640, just like we're doing right now, you'll be ahead. You'll be like, oh, I see what's happening. God, you're sneaky. God, you're good. This is really cool. But wherever you're at, realize that God is at work behind the scenes, even in the midst of setbacks, even when it seems like there are evil people who ought to be ruining the plan here, even when the timetable isn't working according to your plan, even when it seems like people with impure motives are just polluting the whole thing. God is at work even in the midst of setbacks. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would help us to be patient during this season, help us to be obedient during this season, Help us to listen to the authorities, but Lord, help us to trust you and trust that you are at work in the midst of this chaotic season that seems like it's just full of setbacks. Lord, we trust in you. We believe in you. We, help that, we pray that you help us apply these principles to our lives and walk closer with you. In your name we pray, amen.